Hey guys, welcome. Uh, welcome to another another day, another episode, Coffee with Mirko. Uh, today there's going to be a little bit of um, interesting name because Kirk, Mirko, Kirk, I think it's the closest to my name. Um, hey everyone, um, just before we get started, uh, I'd love for you to share the URL of this show. Um, if you can share um, what we do, that'd be great. But Kirk is already here, so I think without further ado, we're going to just uh, bring him on. And uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be a fun chat, so stick around. Always unknown with connections. Yo, wow. Hello. You got the full set up, bro. Damn. <laughs> oh, mate, we're not mucking around over here. Can you, can you I can... I can hear you fantastic. That Well, I'll show you why, because obviously having a podcast, you need a podcasting kit, so we've got the whole... Can I flip this? Yeah, no, son. Can you change sides? Fuck got the yeah, yeah. Roadcaster Pro. Oh, wow. Yeah. Dude. It's fun. I like it. I like this uh, machinery. It helps. It helps, and wow. I think you should be on my side, you know, like you, you should be the one hosting. <laughs> well, man, you look well, professional. Perhaps I'll, perhaps I'll have you on the podcast soon. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'd love to. Love to. Um, Kirk, um, first of all, uh, thank you for giving us your time and to be on. But uh, first question is, how's you and your family doing with Corona? Everyone good? Yeah, absolutely fine, to be honest. I mean... At the start, it was a little bit daunting and I didn't really know my place or Sub-Zero Coffee's place in all of this. But I think, you know, I, I took those few weeks to sort of sit back, do nothing. Um, I, had a, I had a bit of money saved to, you know, survive. And um, to be honest, yeah, I've actually, I've been, I'm better than ever. And um, because, you know, coronavirus or the, the lockdowns that have ensued because of coronavirus uh, make you rethink a lot and make you um, wonder what is important to you. And honestly, I've reevaluated a lot in my life and have concluded I'm actually far happier. Bro, mm. oh, you can't see it. I got goosebumps. Like, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the vibe. Like, uh, I, I've been talking about this for a while. I think, granted, the health and... Uh, obviously, a little bit of money for essential needs um, for people, and their obviously ideal situation, not being in a in different situation uh, that some people could be. Yeah, this is a great great opportunity on a personal and business level, hundred um, percent. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's great. But look, um, let's get the ball started because I want to make more about you. Um, for everyone watching, or we're gonna watch again or listen to it. Uh, Please tell us a little bit about your coffee journey and how and where it all started. Well, um, it's a very unorthodox journey. I started, um, I, I'm 25 right now, and I had my first coffee, I think, when I was 20. So um, I never really uh, was interested in coffee at all. Um, I was studying at university and... Um, while I was work, uh, while I was at university, I got a job as a as a kitchen hand. So I was washing dishes and, um, you know, working amongst the chefs and getting things thrown at me. And uh, you know, you know what it's like working in a busy, busy kitchen. And um, 
eventually uh, my boss asked me if I was interested at all in making coffee and I just sort of said, oh, okay. Um, and I just, it was just going to be a job to me at that stage, but um, I ended up becoming obsessed with it. And um, I think I dedicated after about a month of making coffee, um, I actually was watching, uh, I watched this video about Matt Perger and, um, and I learned about what barista, barista hustle was. And, um, and from there, I just, I just became obsessed with coffee and I started working at different cafes and just trying to sort of get better. And I'd work, you know, a lot of hours after work and all that sort of stuff and just really dedicated my life to getting better. I think I want to run. I want to run an experiment and run a statistic on how many people get found by coffee rather than who find pe people who find who look for coffee. Um, I'm similar. It's funny. Like I had my first coffee. I'm turning thirty. I think in a couple of weeks. Um, and it's like I, I had my first coffee. I think at twenty two, twenty three, because yeah. I come from Italy. So. In Italy, I had an overdose of coffee at the age of two, kind of, because mm. every night I used to sneak out of my bedroom, finish the mocha pot, they would leave a espresso left over my, my, my parents and go to the room. Probably had too much. Mm -hmm. So my, my brain said, no, I don't like this. I don't know. And I never drank it since. And then I was lucky enough to, my first ever filter coffee was a light shadow from 90 plus, roasted by Monk Panidama, Marwin. Uh, because I was working in this cafe with Ken, Ken Tang. And, uh, I'll tell you what, yeah. they, they pop a lot of specialty coffee cherries at uh, Disciple Coffee Roasters. I, I know so many people who went to Disciple and, you know, after, I mean, Monk Bodhidharma, and after they've been there, they've just been converted. So they're cherry poppers. They really are. In a good way. Yeah. Oh, in a good way. I love popping cherries. But, yeah, so, yeah, funny how you drank coffee at the age of 20. Um, so, and could you share then a bit of your career and where was, you know, a few significant uh, milestones as far as we all know there's that, that one shop or that one mentor, that one experience that really gets you to on the tracks? Mm. Well, I mean, I have to say when I started working at St. Ali was probably where my skills began to elevate and and a big part and a big reason for that was a guy who works with me right now is Todd Suter. And, um, you know, when I started there, I absolutely sucked compared to the other guys that were there and um, felt very illeg illegitimate being there and uh, really struggled to keep up with the pace because it's when you work at somewhere like that, you're making so many coffees in one day. And not only do you have to keep up with the pace, but your coffee has to be excellent. You have to be really engaging with the customers. And, you know, there's like spies that come in and try the coffee throughout the day. So, you know, you can get caught out quite easily. But um, Todd and I, to this day, get along so well uh, because we're both such freaks. Um, we're the type of people that will, you know, we'll get our work done and then we'll stay at work for three or four hours after work and, just practice things and test things and try and make better, uh, make it better. And I think he and I just always had this alliance, I guess, or coalition between us where we just thought we'll just do everything we can to get better. And we're the only people that can stand each other. So, you know, he can put up with my uh, tenacity and I can put up with his. So it's, yeah. um, 
honestly, I credit a lot of it to him um, and obviously working amongst consumer professionals like uh, obviously Matt Perger and, um, and Lucy Ward and uh, Ross Quayle and, you know, some of the formative figures at San Ali. And uh, I think that's where I learned to, you know, I could make coffee, but that's where you built a career, really. 100%, man. Obviously, you know, the credits go to you. I think sometimes we look back and it's important to, to yeah, I suppose give also a bit of love to the people who got you there. And uh, it's funny, um, that was going to be my next question, who was a strong and positive influence, but I think you already answered that, which is, which is great. It means that we're on, a, on the same wavelength, which I love about these interviews. It's just, uh, anyway, it, it, they're all interconnected, like, believe me. It's, something's going to pop up tomorrow. It's going to be like, oh, my God, I just had Kirk yesterday. Yara, yara. Um, well, speaking of Todd, I met Todd. On one of his, probably, he was a, a temporary casual jobs um, that he had to do, you know, when you're in between jobs here in Mini Ponds. And then we, I found him again, which we get to the next question. I found him again at Abacus, um, which was uh, the, the first uh, event that I joined you at. Um, mm -hmm. So can you tell us about more? I'm not interested in too much quite yet about details, but let's start from... What was your why behind starting Sub-Zero Coffee? Well, both Todd and I are really frustrated by business as usual. Um, and, you know, for a coffee that, for, for a city that prides itself on being the best coffee city in the world, I just doubt that Melbourne's the best coffee city in the world. And it's because people aren't innovating and there's, there's a reason for that. And it's because, you know, the business model at, present for some people not all for some people makes money and um you know i think people are, obviously you need to have a sustainable business model to warrant being in business but for a lot of people that's you know how can we reduce make this the cheapest per kilo bag of coffee that we possibly can and so where that applies to why we started coffee is because there's just nowhere good to go drink some coffee in Melbourne. Like, you know, you can go to, there's places like Auntie Pegs and they do, a, and shout out to them, they do a fantastic job of filtering espresso, but I can't get a good milk coffee there. And if you go, and there's other places where you might be able to get a good milk coffee, but you can't get a good filter or espresso. So we just wanted, uh, well, for me in particular, I just wanted a one-stop shop where I could get any coffee I liked. And, you know, I get to a point of the year, Mirko, when, um, I get a bit angry when I can't drink a Kenyan espresso. They're like, Kenyan espressos are probably, I think they're the best. Um, and I get a bit angry during that year where I have to go too long without. And so um, things like freezing coffee uh, enabled us to do that. And uh, we weren't just settled for, we weren't just going to settle for one roaster either, because I think that's one of the biggest um, restrictions on baristas in the world is you get, if you're in a cafe, it's likely that you have one coffee roaster that you're allowed to work with. And I'm not saying that's necessarily inherently a bad thing, but it can be quite boring, you know? And so we just wanted, we just wanted a circumstance where there were no rules. And so we imagined in our head, Oh, what if, if what's the perfect cafe in your mind? And I just thought, well, there's honestly no limit to the amount of coffee on the menu and it will be across filter milk and espresso. And, um, 
doing the best you possibly can at each of those things. So if I were to summarize why, as well, uh, to add further to that, giving people access to coffee that they wouldn't ever have had access to before. So, you know, we buy a lot from international roasters as well. And there's not many places in Melbourne. I mean, in, in Australia in general, there's probably, we probably have access to about 5% of the specialty coffee out there. And that means, of course, there's 95% that we don't get to drink. And so the aim of Sub-Zero is to tap into that other 95% because there's just so much coffee out there. And I'm not interested that you don't get in coffee to make money. And um, well, I didn't anyway. It's, it's, it's very much something that's consuming. And there's, I've had opportunities to go into other career paths but have chosen coffee. And um, just hunting down all of that coffee and drinking all of that coffee that's out there that we don't get to drink or we don't have access to is what I'm dedicating my life to right now. Oh, yeah, look, and I love the – there's a lot of things that I love about this concept, but when you touch base about international roasters, there's actually only what two shops in Melbourne that I can think of um, and actually owned by the same crew, and big shout-out to that. Which is, Shamble and Little Rogue. Yeah, you know it. Like that, that, that um, Leo and his crew, they, they, they're the only ones that I can think of in Melbourne um, that have – consistently rotation of international uh, roasters and uh, and also big shout out to little rock because especially because they also one of the few specialty coffee shops that they open after 3 30 or 4 p.m i've had meetings at 5 5 30 at their sh- in the back of their shops and uh, instead of going to to starbucks um so i think they're even pushing those boundaries and uh, well, so I've yeah got, big I've shout out question for you then Mirko. do you think that's something that should that you'd like to see more of a coffee shop that's open past 6 p.m., maybe to 10 p.m., maybe to midnight? I think there would be room for it if you could also serve alcohol under the form of coffee. Um, so maybe you could have a super rad, uh, super expensive specialty coffee, uh, espresso martinis, or a lot of, well, I mean, we all know coffee and good spirits kind of a menu. Uh, fuck, why not, man? Like, I'm, I'm that serious. I I find myself I found myself twice last year uh, at Starbucks. Not mm. not shame in saying it. Um, the cold brew wasn't that bad, um, and there was free internet and it was packed. Mm. Obviously, the culture is not quite there. And going back on money, look, I think doing things for money is not good. Um, I was having a conversation on the phone just then, explaining why I do social media only for coffee businesses. And if I was doing it for money, I would do. Uh, social media for plastic surgeons or dentists. I could charge six, seven times higher my monthly retainers. But what do I know about those industry? Nothing wrong with them. I just don't, I don't have the passion. So obviously money plays a role, especially on a retail shop. Um, I get it. Uh, but I think that you guys found a formula with the pop-ups, which we're going to touch base in a minute. But what this is something that really interests me um, because I got an answer to that too in terms of on a philosophical level. But what were people thinking when you first started telling people about the concept? I think they thought it was too hard and, um, and probably thought it was unrealistic because it's one thing to say, well, if you've got a consistent roaster or if you work for a roasting company and they roast things consistently, whereas, you know, your espresso filter and milk recipes are more or less all the same, that's still somewhat, that's very workable. 
if you're if you have for example 50 coffees but when you have when all your coffees are pretty much from different roasters um the roasting is all different the level of solubility is all different each coffee has a different recipe that you need to follow which is a challenge but i think it's a matter of being organized so uh to answer your question i think people kind of that if 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 the model would be the mo the first people to do this were owner Marrickville. I'm not the first people to person to offer a reserve um, reserve coffee menu, but Marrickville uh, was a fantastic experience. Have you? I don't know if you've been there or not, but um, I just thought to myself, well, you know, this is fantastic, and you know, owner coffee is obviously one of the premier roasters in the world right now. But there's just still there's still so much more coffee out there that you, I wanted to get. So to to summarize, I guess, when people asked or when I told people about it, they just thought, well, how are you going to make that work? And you turned around and said, well, I'm going to start from pop-ups, which, you know, I, I, I never heard of the concept pop-ups until I got to Australia. And one day someone was saying something about clothing store and said, hey, it's a pop-up. And I was like, what's a pop-up? Uh, and explained to me. And I think, I think that was brilliant. Well, it, I have no choice because, you know, to open a cafe costs a lot of money and we just thought, well, um, fuck it, we'll do, we'll do pop-ups and, um, <laughs> and it's once a month and you have to balance that in with full-time work as well, and, um, which I've been trying to do, but um, I'm, sick of, I'm sick of working for other people and not because that... Uh, they're bad or that I don't like working with people. It's just I only want to work in a circumstance where we're treating coffee the most in the most amazing way. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think uh, a good employer needs to understand that. And he would probably want you to do that. And uh, I was in the same position last year. I had fantastic job, good crew, good everything. Car, tablet, phone, good pay. And people were like, why are you throwing that away? You know, like I was like, well, I don't know. I just my heart is not in it. Why would I do it? And I had the position and opportunity to, to be able to do it, so I jumped. Well, the funny thing, Mirko, is that I actually I quit. I thought I was done with coffee last year because I because I studied journalism at university. I was very intent on becoming a journalist, and I was interviewing for a radio position the week before my first pop up, um, and. Um, as, as a newsreader for a, for a regional uh, Victorian radio station. And I have, just as much as I love coffee, I also love politics and reporting on it and reading about it. And um, I really, really enjoy those things. And But after the first Sub-Zero pop-up, I think, well, it's obviously been enough to sway me to stay in the coffee industry because it's just so goddamn fun. Dude, that's... <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a big reveal. Um... Thanks for sharing. I think that's super cool. Uh, and that just shows, I mean, that's going to probably be something that we're going to get back to on a question that I have uh, moving forward. Because uh, I'm very, for me, my, my mission in life eventually, it's about helping people finding their passion that should turn into a fixation. And, uh, and I think sometimes people underestimate that you can actually make it even in football, you know, or soccer, however you call it. Uh, but people get stuck on the fact that you're going to become the next Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, but you could well be a player agent, a scout. 
you could be a chronist, uh, a journalist, you could be a blogger. 442 started an amazing Instagram page and now they're interviewing top players around the world. Uh, you could be a YouTuber all around a soccer ball. And that's the same with coffee. You don't need to be a latte art barista champion. You can have so many different things along the way of coffee. Um, going back on the pop, I have, do have a last couple of questions around it. Was it difficult to find venues to host them? And also, let's play for a minute, which venue would have been a dream location or which venues would have been dream locations? The support has actually been overwhelming for this concept. So um, I had a really good relationship with Lamazocco when I started through working at St. Ali. And I, I just asked the CEO, Barry, um, hey, can we do a pop-up that I've got this idea? Can we do a pop-up at Lamazocco? And he just straight away said, uh, yeah, sure, no worries. And, <laughs> you know, that's that's a credit to that organisation and, um, and and how they operate. They're obviously very uh, supportive of the community. And then after that, I didn't have a second location. I didn't know if we'd have a second pop-up. So, But that's when Dylan uh, Whitmore from Abacus uh, invited me to have a pop-up at Abacus. And I thought, I don't know how this is going to work um, because, you know, you have such a busy bar and I won't be able to take over your actual bar. And then we just decided, well, hey, we'll build a new one. So we, we built a little makeshift bar, which was an absolute debacle when we were setting up. We had power issues and everything. And um, and then it just it actually just got so much easier from there. From after that, after more people had come and enjoyed the coffee at the pop-ups, they just started... Uh, you know, we were booked up until about August um, to to do pop-ups. You know, everyone, so many people are just asking, can you do a pop-up at our cafe or at, in our space? So I, we don't have to ask anyone anymore. They ask us, and which is amazing. Um, it makes, it's a lot less work um, because people are um, enamored, I guess you could say, by the, by the concept. And if, and dream venues. If I were to if I were to go a dream venue right now, Lune Croissant. Ooh. Mm. They've got that oh, big. Yeah. They've got that big yeah. concrete bench where they do the Lune yeah. Lab at the back. Yeah. And man, we could do our thing over there. So easy. Mm. I, I like that. I didn't think about that. I had a few yeah. other menus in mind, but yeah, for sure that would be. Yeah. Oh yeah, and they could probably make some reserve. Expensive croissants, and there'd just be so punch. many. There's just be so many regular punters there that would sort of see what's going on. And I think, do you remember the ice cream freezer that we had at Abacus? Yeah. Well, I think people see an ice cream freezer full of coffee doses, and they just think, "What on earth are you doing?" You're talking my jam. Like, I, I, you know, there's a lot of visuals. I mean, nothing. A Starbucks is there without a thinking process. Everything is there for a reason. And I think whether it was done on purpose or whether it was just convenience or luck or whether you actually had some thinking around it, uh, there's a connection between ice cream and people that gives a little bit of joy, but also curiosity. It's like, okay, well, what, what flavors you got? But then it's like you're approaching the freezer and it's like, oh, what's that? And all of a sudden, you're on the hook, which is great. And uh, and I loved it. I mean, I was there and uh, it's fun. It's a small world. Of course, I know Dylan. I worked with Dylan uh, uh, with, with 
with social media and all of it, and we've we done some projects together. And uh, Abacus is a beautiful venue. And uh, when he told me about it, I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know. And uh, I think it's great that venues reach out to you. Uh, I'm a big advocate about innovating and thinking outside the box on how to – it's not – again, it's never about getting customers through the doors for shops. It's about giving an experience, giving a free lesson, giving, 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 giving. Um, a lot of cafes are confused when I talk to them and strategize social media and are more about let's stop being transactional and let's bring it back on personable. Let's bring it back on value. Why would they follow you? You know, like what are you bringing value to their feed or to their day? Let's give value back to substance. Let, don't worry about what you got on the special today, special linguine or whatever. Like, who cares? Like, tell me about your story. People buy stories. They don't buy uh, $12.99 lunch specials. Yeah, well, I guess, um, and we, I guess a lot of what Sub-Zero is is storytelling because you're telling the story of the coffee. Because, and if you, to start this at the consumption end, you know, a person will, um, one thing we would do at some of the pop-ups is we'll, we'll have like a, a standard blend that we'll have there just for, so we'll give people a taste of the blend. If the, say for example, you have an espresso, they'll taste that and then we'll put it next to some outrageous, I don't know, washed or natural geisha from Panama and you have them try them side by side and they just, they just, it blows their mind a lot of the time. And um, which, and they ask, well, what did you mix with that? What, what have you done to it? And, and that's, that enables us to tell the story of the coffee. And it's, you know, actually, this is just sourced from Panama. It's, you know, the cherries have been individually picked and um, taken care of. The farmers put in a lot of work. It was roasted in this, you know, in Japan by Mariama Coffee or whatever. And, and it's just, yeah, it's, it is all, all about that storytelling and a lot of the romance that comes along with it. And, um, I think storytelling of coffee is probably the, one of the biggest things we do. Uh, yes. I mean, we keep forgetting uh, we are in the people business. I mean, I'm an advocate that says that nearly 99% of businesses are in people businesses. I think only very little type of businesses are known to people, um, but it is people. Um, mm. That's why Elon Musk exists. That's why Steve Jobs exists. That's why this character exists, not because it, that they are the face of the company and the story behind a lot of different ideas, 100%. Mm. I mean, there's people who argue that Elon Musk failure around the Cybertruck, where I'm not sure if you watched the showroom, basically he threw a rock um, and this armor truck is meant to be indestructible and the rock broke through the glass. Mm. Um, you, you should watch it. It had millions of hits, but there's some lots of smart people were saying that was actually done on purpose that fell because he would have had a higher traction and now this hammer truck is actually sold out until god knows how long so very interesting but that's anyway that's a bit off track but yeah we are people uh, from farmers to pickers to roasters to baristas and the person who ends up grabbing that cup of coffee and that's I, I will never get tired of saying this, you know, mm. less have eyes you, on the cup, more on the, the person who's going to receive it. Have you been to a coffee farm, Mirko? 
I would love to. And uh, I've had a very amazing person, can't name him, but he offered. And uh, when I'll have the chance to, and I'll have a spare week, I'd love to go to his amazing setup because it's going to be a very an amazing experience. But you've been, obviously. Yeah, I've been to Bolivia and Brazil. And, um, and I think once you go there, you can't unsee what you see, so to speak, because... You know, I think when, when we're in Bolivia, you travel through the jungle pretty much and you, there's coffee producers that they live in a shack without power with their family that's, you know, no bigger than my bedroom and, you know, no running water, no toilet, all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I think you, you need to sort of, when you're there buying coffee, you need to sort of, you need to have your thinking pragmatic cap on and you can't be dominated by emotion, but you want to just help them all. And you know, one way of helping is by buying the coffee, doing the best you can with it, and telling the story. And I think that's we're as a barista, we're limited in our capacity to save the world in some sense. But I think those those that storytelling is and acknowledging the people is one of the best things we can do. And you know, give give uh, humanize them more. Hundred percent. You know, it's 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 interesting. You know, I was lucky that I met lots of coffee professionals, even when I was working at Toby's Estate, because they had knowledge talks and they really was shook. Some people were like really showing the farms and the origins, but also the story behind it. And there was uh, this guest uh, was talking about consent around taking pictures of the farmers because they don't know where the picture is going to go. A lot of interesting topics, sustainability. Um, and yeah, I really want to start traveling more in those areas. Um, I think that that was very interesting chat that I had with Joseph um, from Nani Plus, where he was talking about a lot of things. And uh, that story, it's something. It's start. It's a start. Mm. You know, it's a start of conversation around price for the end consumer. It's a start of like, okay, well, you, this is why I'm charging you this much. Um, mm. And it doesn't, it doesn't need much. I brought two friends over at your, at your pop-up and, uh, you know, they are latte drinkers and uh, they were asking me why it would cost them much and I'll explain why and it takes one person. Um, I mean, think about big movements, even political. I mean, um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X and all other, you know, you can go on the other spectrum, you know, Adolf Hitler, like these movements all started from one person. Um, so it's about the people, 100%, and believing what one person starts talking. So your movement is frozen coffee combined with all the things you just said, um, which gives me, I think, something that I'm very passionate about is this question is, what did you or would want to say to the people who said, you know, you're crazy? Or better, what would you recommend to the people who have a crazy idea like yours and they're too afraid to execute it? Uh, well, we'll start off with what would I say to people that say I'm crazy? Well, I just don't care. Um, it's just, I just, I don't know. It's, that's probably one quality I have is my ability to just not care what people think. And so if, if someone says that to me, I can just sort of not even say a word and walk off and that's fine. Um, and, you know, and because, and to lead to, to sort of segue into your next question is, you know, what would, uh, what, how would I encourage other people to pursue their ideas and let's just do it. Um, I think this has been one of the, one of the biggest improvements to my confidence and my mental well being 
has been to just actually do this. And um, I feel fantastic because I was someone who would say things but not necessarily do things before I started Sub-Zero Coffee. And um, I think it just takes that one sort of experience or that one that one project that you actually just follow through on and, you know, back yourself to, to give yourself a lot of confidence. And it's to be a business owner at 25, at, at, I'm not, mind you, I'm not making lots of money. <laughs> that's, that's not what this is yet. Hopefully it comes one day, but um, you know, to be a business owner is a great feeling and to, to, to create and be a creator of sorts is also a great feeling. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming when you balance other things in your life. But um, I say, yeah, if you've got an idea, just fucking do it. Are you, um, I don't know, I have a funny feeling, but are you the type of guy that comes up with ideas very easily? Oh, yes, yes, I am. Um, I'm an ideas man. Are you, have you ever done the Maya Briggs test? The Maya Briggs test, no. I share three to you DM because I think I think that you would fall as an ENFP, which is a, a campaigner, and uh, that's my personality type. Sixteen personalities. I'll send it three as a DM. I'll, I'm very intrigued on, on knowing yours. Yeah, for sure. Because um, I think ideas. I, 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 you hit the spot when you said I used to talk a lot of things but never do them. Uh, that was me, uh, a thousand percent. I can write a book of the size of the Bible of ideas. No problem. Mm. But every time I would tell people, oh, this project, that project, I love to do this, I love to do that. Um, and I reached a stage where last year I was like, fuck it, um, I'm just going to do it. And I did it. So I really relate to what you just said on a very deep level. So thanks for sharing that. Um, going back on passion, because um, I think there's a little bit more to unpack here on your side. You're a barista, you competed, you're a brewer. You're a business owner now. Um, what would you say is your most loved passion out of all? Create a hybrid looking beast. Doesn't matter what it is. Uh, my my biggest passion in the world? Anything. Um, well, I mean, obviously coffee's one, but I really like, um, I really as I sort of mentioned before, I really, really like politics and um, public policy as a um, as a sort of const construct because I think those things dictate and govern our everyday life. And if you um, and if you look at through if you look at that through the eyes of the coronavirus, you know how is our public policy serving the Australian public? You know, um, and um, economics, I think, as a as a vocation and as a study, is something of really really big interest to me because and if i was to liken it to it if i give you this scenario Mirko, um a lot of people say to me uh a lot of my friends say well we're so fixated on the economy and we focus less on the environment which is true um and they think well we put we put limitless economic growth or we put economics as a concept before uh you know environmental conversation but I actually think all of the world's problems can be solved with economics. And um, mm -hmm. cl climate change is the biggest one that can be... The, in fact, the, the biggest fix to the climate change policy is it's economics. consumer behaviours. Mm. And it's consumer behaviours, yeah. which relates to economics. I mean, mm. uh, very little people know that. And look, this is 
for for maybe for your podcast when you bring me on um you know very 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 little uh, touching base on this you know not many people know and understand the resources that go behind 100 grams of beef yeah straight exactly. up straight up you know it's yeah. like they go and protest on the street and i love it i love this like you and i can see with a cup of coffee but my goal with that question is actually to not help you because you don't need my help but more to hey man fuck it let, let's just think something that can bring that passion of yours and coffee and what you're doing together like man you could so well be at a university tedx kind of scenario where 20 people are paying to buy a flight of coffee from sub zero but at the same time you're giving a talk around economics it's not necessarily just coffee like i'm like i can see different things around that well i'm trying my best to marry everything in between mirko so you know obviously having a podcast scratches the journalistic itch in me um and if we were to um and you know i get to do my greatest passion which is coffee and then um with economics i think so much of coffee can be looked at through the eyes of the economy and people don't realize how much of economics impacts coffee because um let's put for example um commodity prices coffee is a commodity and that commodity is dictated by demand and supply of um or demand from consumers and supply of coffee so if you look at let's go back two years to 2018 when brazil had its biggest ever harvest so i think they produced 60 million bags of coffee or something which is just astonishing wow which was brought on by conditions late in the harvest which meant that the cherries at origin germinated at a certain time and the yield was insane it it was like a 40% increase on uh production for brazil and brazil being the biggest coffee producer on the planet um dictates a lot of the sea market price so there you have this is economics supply is so much bigger than demand what happens when you've got too much of something and not enough people want to buy it the price goes down and that's that's been an issue that's been dominating the the uh, the coffee industry for the last few years the devastating commodity price you know the cost to produce is greater for a lot of farmers than the money they'll make so, 100% um and i guess and this is something i really want to touch on more in the future but um I guess where we're going with that where passion sort of uh comes into this is for me having that that desire to one day be a journalist in some capacity fulfill uh my passion in coffee and the passion for economics as well because emerge yeah they're all compatible in my view and I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to make them work and I believe so I'm a big believer that there's a lot of just as much and sorry big shout out to Micho man um uh thank you that comment is fucking good like that comment is thank actually you, good. um thank you, legend and i know that my instagram is actually cooked up uh around some metrics so but i think that our this content is really good and i i'm a big believer gone a little bit offset that every single person coming here has a story and it's been honestly humbling and mind boggling good like the sparsporty minutes have been fantastic well, just I think, as <laughs> i think people people uh when they think of someone who works at sub zero coffee like me or Todd they might think well 
they, they might have the personality of a tree stump or that there's not much going on in their lives other than coffee. But um, Oh, no, I didn't have that. But, like, honestly, um, the vibes are super good. And, look, I think just as much as going back on the merging passion, just as much as I think that certain recipes that became staple of certain cuisines happened by mistake, you know, like adding baking soda or adding certain ingredients came out with, you know, meringue. I think a certain job happened by mistakes. So I think that, or by chance, so I think that there's no limit for merging and creating uh, what you just said. I mean, you look at Scott Rao or you look at certain other cats and you're like, oh, well, hang on. Or Chris Baca is a skateboarder. <laughs> like people know him either as a skateboarder or as a coffee roaster or whoever, you name it. And I think that you can achieve that 100%. Well, hopefully, and the podcast is certainly working towards that. And who knows? We'll see what happens in the future. Well, man, just keep giving, man. There's people who their YouTube didn't pop until five years later, and they had 100 viewers. So mm. you just started, and you're baby, 25, man. I'm a baby. I'm just 30, man. Like, I feel like I'm getting old. Nah, I feel super. And look, to be honest, uh, a lot of us don't understand that our generation is a generation that's going to break the hundreds. So you've got another uh, 75 plus years to give in the coffee world. So provided put that in perspective. After, provided I look after my body. Yeah, but you know what? You plenty of time to give, like for sure, yeah. man. Um, Thanks, out, of the box, out of the box question. Oh, 100%. Um, how do you brew coffee at home? Uh, I just have a V60 at home. I don't have an espresso machine. I don't want an espresso machine at home, really. I think it makes me enjoy. Um, I need I need sort of separation, um, and you know that's not knocking anyone that does have a setup at home with you know every single coffee brewing method available. Um, it, it would be nice right now because you know there's not many cafes to go to, um, but yeah, I just have the I just have V60s at home, and I love it. Oh man, I, I'm the same. I'm, I started brewing more at home since Corona before. I just enjoyed the concept. And we go back to economics and supporting the community. I just enjoy going to a cafe and have the full experience anyway. I think that sitting down, having an espresso, having a chat with the barista, with the owner, is just my, my jam rather than sitting home. It's nice sitting home, but I think that's, that's me. But today I went out because I had to do a couple of things in town and that turned out that I didn't have to. It was the wrong day, and I ended up going to see some coffee friends of mine, and uh, and I had three three espressos, and uh, my last one was actually sitting down with Ben from Teen Man. Big shout out to Big Ben, um, and I was like, man, like I'm cheering this moment. Like it was the first espresso that I was sitting down um, in a safe environment. Of course, don't 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 you know anybody kind of think it's crazy. Like it's all within the limits by law, and I was like, this is amazing. Mm. And uh, I think I don't want to give away that experience by having an espresso machine at home because if I spend 5G on a, <laughs> on a machine, I'm not going to go out and grab a coffee. Um, but, yeah, that's me. But and going back on the, you know, your story, how important was to receive help from people that you met along hospital? I mean, I've seen, you know, the A-team, Abacus, you know, big shout out to all of them. Hani, 
who was in yesterday, uh, Lenby, who was here a couple of weeks ago, and other cats. Obviously, you know, Todd is part of one of your partners and whatnot, but like how important it is to have these all these amazing people supporting and helping you around? Oh, it's very important. And I think for all of us that get involved with Sub Zero, it's we all it's like an ideas exchange. So, you know, when Haney comes up, we learn something when and he learns something as well. So, um, and same with Connor that uh, helps out from owner coffee. And I think, you know, them being sort of the other people, the other players in the frozen coffee game, it's like an ideas exchange and it's full credit to them as an organization because they're very open to collaborations. And, um, it's probably one of the most important things and we all get better. They tell me when I'm doing a shit job or if the coffee tastes bad. And, um, and I love it because you need people, telling you you need people bringing you back down um uh, you need people leveling you out and um that feedback is very important because obviously the goal is to make the best coffee possible so having their uh, expertise and skills and you know that idea exchange is very important to growing and does it this is not even on my question list but do you do you feel sometimes pressure when you you know, pull out of the drawer, uh, quite an expensive uh, lot, or not lot, but origin, and you got to make either a V60 or an espresso. Like, I know you're confident, but it's like, I know how to drive, okay? So I'm a decent driver. You know, I know how to drive manual, I know how to drive manual, uh, automatic, and I drove kilometers for my job with Tobias Estate. So it was 90% driving. But if someone gave me the keys of Lamborghini, or an expensive car, I'm like, shit, a little nervous, even though I've driven so many times. Mm. Well, yes and no. I mean, you obviously want to be, you want to be on your A game. And if someone's paying a lot of money for a cup of coffee, you need to deliver. Um, and that's very important. But I think I've had a very good introduction to those high pressure moments in coffee. So when I was at Ali, you had to make Matt, Matt Perger coffee every day. And which, you know, for the first few weeks was very scary because you, you just think, holy shit, that's Matt Perger. And, you, you know, you're dripping sweat and your arms like this when you're pouring the milk. And I hope he watches uh, this again. <laughs> yeah, I hope so as well. Um, and then Ross Quayle as well. Uh, he was, he's obviously a World Brewster Championship judge and he gives feedback on every coffee he drinks. So I think, I, and then having done competition as well, I feel like a lot of those, it, it, it can't really get worse than that <laughs> from here on out. So it, that was really good training for, for those moments. But I'm more concerned about um, when we're making coffee at Sub-Zero that we're – so what we'll do is we'll dial in all the coffee. And, yes, that's 52 different coffees or whatever it is at the time. And, you know, we've got a, we've got a recipe spreadsheet on how to make each of those coffees. And we're just trying to hit targets. So, um, you know, if you hit – if you hit those numbers and um, with filter coffee, we'll try We'll have a sip of every single one. And so we'll know, yeah, that's, that's good. And with the espresso and the milk beverages, you know, we measure so much. So we, we follow the yields for absolutely everything. The doses to the iota uh, of a gram um, accuracy. And, you know, we weigh the amount of milk that goes into the cup. So we manage everything. We've got a harm minimization strategy, I guess you could say. And, we just eliminate the factors as we take the effort to eliminate the factors of, of that could create bad coffee.
Cool. That, that's, that's amazing. And uh, I really liked actually what you said about pairing a coffee, like, you know, average, let's call it. Nothing is average on your menu, but towards, again, something extremely high level. Um, it would be interesting actually to have a shop uh, that served the whole range, literally from a dollar a dollar to thirty dollars, but that's anyway. That's something that just popped in my head. A um, couple of questions um, because we are slowly but surely run out of time as usual on these sixty minutes lives. One of your favorite sub zero moments? Well, I guess the first one when we just there was just so many people there, and um, I was. Um, almost in tears, to be honest, because, um, you know, a lot of people had showed out to support me and, and a lot of people who I'd never met before came as well and, you know, they'd heard about it, which was fantastic. And um, in the week leading up to Sub-Zero, I had, like, the world's worst chest infection and, uh, like, I was really, really ill. Um, and so I almost called the whole thing off because... I just the day the day before we were I went out to dinner with Connor and Todd, and um, and I was just so sick I couldn't talk, uh, I, I was just leaning over and like we just we just had to keep working because we had to keep setting it up and getting things done, um, and just getting getting there was getting through the weekend was a special moment, but I think one of the things I liked the most about it uh, was when we were at Abacus and just people that walked up that had never really cared much about coffee and came and enjoyed it. And there was this one guy that came up and he read the menu and he said, you're charging $30 for a cup of coffee. Are you serious? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, we are. And he goes, excellent. I'll have two. And this is just some <laughs> random guy who, who just, he, so he had bought these copies for him and his friends and on the first day. And, you know, he was a, he, you know, he had a high paying job or, or something, of course. And, um, and then he came back the next two days to the pop up and just, you know, worked his way through the whole menu. And it's those regular people that we converted. And I think that's probably the most, one of the most special things about it is that it's, you know, it's great to serve these coffee professionals, but I think it's the regular people. We're just changing their perception of coffee completely. That's the most special thing. I loved it. I love that story. And uh, look, man, like, there's some people that can't justify paying, uh, you know, $30 for a glass of wine. There's some people who can't justify paying 100 grand for a car. And there's people who can't justify having an expensive hobby like golf. But passion is passion. So, you know, and I think what you did. And to be honest, uh, credits to you because when I, when I first saw there was an abacus, obviously no abacus were left the center. Sure, you know, South Yara has a good demographic as far as, you know, there is, you know, decent paying jobs. People live there. I think it's mm -hmm. safe to say without getting into troubles. Um, but I thought, oh, South, interesting, you know, because obviously Lamarzaku is kind of north, or Abbotsford is kind of considered on the northern side, and that's where usually Melbourne says that's where the coffee nerds are, you know, your Fitzroy, Brunswick kind of mm -hmm. uh, axe area. And I thought, oh, South Yara, interesting. Um, and I think that I'd love to see more uh, in northern areas. But speaking of which, is there anything, obviously, if you can reveal as far as future or inner future goes, any plans that are popping up? Yes. Well, I, this is this is the exclusive reveal, Mirko. Um, exclusive reveal. Um, yes. 
So we are in the next three weeks, we're aiming. We're aiming to have a pop-up set up that will go for three months and it will be a seven-day-a-week pop-up. Um, and we might stay longer, we might not, but we're going to... We're going to open a cafe effectively for three months and uh, Todd and I will be there most days and um, all the coffee will be available at all times of the day as well. And we're just going to really test out whether this concept works because, you know, you might say, well, this is a shocking time to do that. But I would say, well, there's never been a better time to do it because if you really want to test a business model out, test it right now during a global pandemic because you'll be able to see if it can last on the other side. And, I mean, that's fantastic news. I couldn't agree more as far as, you know, there's always a time to open or not open. I mean, there's people, there's 16-year-old kids who flipped $100,000 by selling fake face masks. So there's always a time and opportunity. Some are nasty, some are good. Yours always have good intentions. Um, okay, this is huge exclusive reveal. Um, how exclusive is to reveal the location? Not not the exact spot, but... Well, it will be in St Kilda. So we, the site okay. is set for St Kilda. And you know, we're working uh, on a few more arrangements uh, behind it. And I can't say what the exact location will be just yet. But, um, yeah, it'll be a three-month three month gig. And I guess that's a really good amount of time for me to sort of test out, you know, how good this thing's going to be and... You, you, you are, you're the type of guy that likes the dirt. Let me say it again. You know, there's a, there's an entrepreneur who likes the, the clean and the safe and whatnot. But I think there's the people like you and I who likes the dirt, who likes the streets, who likes to hit the payments. Like you said, and not only you've chosen the worst time to open, but also the location. I mean, St. Kilda during winter. But you're like, fuck it. Um, I like the dirt, which is good. It's a good dirt. Is the is the is the is the good working hard dirt that I'm talking about, and I well, think it's even more special. Well, I, it doesn't really matter in the in some ways because because you got people, the right mindset. Well, people will travel to get good coffee, and you know, I think you know, without tooting the own trumpet here, what we're offering is different to anywhere else in Melbourne, perhaps even Australia. And so I've driven to Canberra to own a coffee, to drink coffee before, you know, just for that purpose. Um, so why wouldn't I drive from Brunswick to St Kilda on, on a weekend? Because, I mean, Sasha Sestik in, in The Coffee Man says, you know, I drove to Melbourne to try this coffee that tasted like blueberries. And, um, you know, mind you, we're perhaps we're outliers and, you know, a bit freaky and, you know, willing to do such things. But Todd and I flew to Brisbane to, uh, to sorry, Sydney to take down owner, owner copies menu in, in Marrickville. So, I mean, if you like that kind of thing, I mean, you're going to travel for it. And, um, yeah. No, no, I love it. I love it. I think I like that you set up yourself with a challenge with such a positive, uh, mindset and a positive uh, thinking i think it's it's key you know you're not dwelling on who is thank you the right location who shall we do 52 coffees or 49 or 29 and i think like you just said and it's not cliche to just say just the way i mean it's copyrighted by nike probably but to just 
get on with it uh, is the key message that we just described in the past 60 minutes where it's like, okay, you got an idea, no matter how crazy it is, um, you're just going to have to deliver it. Someone just and said there you go. We're gonna cut Coming from South from Australia. Australia. Mate, we are ready for you. We are ready for you. <laughs> Sweat. Fire it up. <laughs> South Australia in the house. Um, love it. Uh, look, Kirk, well, first of all, huge thank you for coming in, giving an hour of your time, and I'm feeling very, very happy, very I'm glad that you and I had this conversation. We couldn't have an abacus because you were, you know, pulling shots and uh, and V60 and, you know, it was, it was game on. And, you know, when Michael Jordan, when the buzzer hits on Michael Jordan's game back in the day, you know, there's uh, there's nothing else outside. And there's actually great documentary on Netflix. I don't, I, I don't have time too much to watch, but it's the little treat sometimes I give myself. It's you, called The Last Dance. It. Oh, man, I've, I've, I've finished it last night. It's fantastic. Oh, well, there you go. I haven't finished it yet, but this is what I'm saying. Like, when it's game on, it's game on for you. So you had the Michael Jordan or coffee game on phase. So like, oh, okay, that's, that's a, this that's, has been good. That's a good. big call. I, can't, I don't know if I can accept that, Mirko. Thank you, but that's that's a huge call. Well, you had that face, you and Todd and everyone. So I think that was good. And I think that you had your Pippen and all your other guys around you. Um, so... I'm glad that we had this convo because I feel like we, we got to know each other also. Uh, very grateful. But if there's anything else that you left off the table, I'd rather you tell him now that we've got two minutes left rather than the classic yeah. 20 seconds abrupt interruption. And it's probably not to do with anything that we spoke about today, but I had an experience this morning that really I'm going to do a podcast about it. It was quite life-changing and it's regarding mental health. And I had... Um, I, I'd counted someone that was enduring some pretty horrific circumstances. And to anyone listening now or to anyone that watches this in the future, please check in on people because there's so much fragility out there in, in um, the world right now. And there's, there is a lot to be, you know, I'm talking very positively and I like doing that and I want everyone to be positive, but there's a lot of misery out there as well. And people are suffering um, physically and mentally. So Check in with your friends. Check in with cafe owners. Um, do what you can to to help people. And um, yeah, it's just I really would encourage and ask people to just check on their friends and Thank other you. people that are really, really suffering. Mm. Thank you for the message. It's beautiful, um, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I I I think that Australia is pretty good compared to where I come from. Mental health is quite a taboo in Italy or Europe, and uh, mm. it's extremely important. And I think that. I'm going to remark what you just said. Um, it could be a friend. It could be a business. It could be anyone. But, yeah, look, th look. you know what? I, I can't top that. I think thank you for what you just shared. Thank no, you for okay. coming on. And uh, I can't wait to come and visit you in St. Kilda or talk over the phone or whatnot. I'm going to DM you that personality test. I'm really curious. It only takes 15 minutes. Uh, but uh, thank you for coming on. And uh, best of luck with St. Kilda, everything. And I'm sure we're going to see each other very soon for a spring. Thanks, mate, and uh, ciao, bello. Ciao, bello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you, have, you have a good night, mate. Uh, thanks for you. You learned it was it was it was a pleasure. You must have learned that from Salvatore. Um, it helped. It helped. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, thank you. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to hear more from you, read more from you, and look. And all the oh, things you're going to create.
No worries, mate. You have a you have yourself a wonderful night. Likewise. Take it easy, my friend. Stay safe. Ciao. Ciao. Fifteen seconds remaining. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this, uh, reshare it once we share it on YouTube or IGTV. Um, tell your friends about it. I think, uh, yeah. Thank you for being here.